You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Hi, welcome to Nick Luck Daily, the show that brings you the latest news, the sharpest insight from around the world of horse racing. It is Wednesday the 11th of May, it's Tom Stanley in for Nick today. We are talking all things Dante Festival, the Musidora today, the Tatsal's Musidora, the feature race of day one of the Dante Festival. We do have a packed show for you, we'll be speaking to Chris Connett from Charlie Appy's Yard, who's travelled out to America with Yabir, who runs in the Man of War. We'll be catching up with him on, on how he is, on how Yabir is. We'll be talking to um, my main guest today, who is senior writer at the Racing Post, Lee Mottasem. We'll be talking uh, bookmaker, um, gambling reviews, ca- account closures, account limiting, all this thing that is ever present in the news at the moment, I'm afraid, and Lee did a, his big read column on Sunday about that. Um, but we do start with positivity, which is good. It feels largely as ever before York, very, very positive indeed. Great racing across three days on the Knavesmire. And William Darby is with me, first of all. William, you must be very, very excited to get going with three days up at York. Oh, really looking forward to it, Tom. It's uh, the start of our season, May to October, 18 race days uh, for, for our season at York. And, and as, as we've said before, this is the first time we've raced with a crowd since May 2019, because last year we were, we were in the UK at the last week of um, restrictions. So, so this was the last meeting, really, that wasn't able to welcome a crowd back. Um, so we just missed out on the curtain. Um, of restrictions uh, and it was behind closed door last year we had a wonderful racing with Snowfall winning the Tassel's Musador and Starman winning the Duke of York um, so it was great racing but to be honest quite soulless with just a few hundred people gathered <laughs> around um, so so it's great to be a buzz with lots of race goers planning to come and it's uh, a great start to the season and we're about eight o'clock in the morning currently have you had any rain William and are you expecting any more today We've been predominantly dry, Tom. We have just had, um, in the last half an hour, sort of half past seven to eight o'clock, a, a pitter-patter, as I call it, of light, light drizzle, of, um, nothing really measurable in the rain gauge yet, and a dampening of the tarmac. Um, so, so nothing measurable, but it is cloudy and cool and a bit breezy, um, sort of slightly autumnal conditions um, at the moment. But the, just looking at the Met Office forecast, it looks like we'll be predominantly dry through through the next three days. The wind's getting up for, for Friday for the Paddy Power Yorkshire Cup day, um, but but largely dry. An odd scuttling shower may be passing through. Um, some bright spells uh, and the wind freshening, sort of seventeen degrees on on Friday. Mm. I suppose we, we we can safely assume there won't be any soft anywhere in the going description across the three days. We've got it as good ground at the moment, a lovely cover of grass, um, as I say, our first meeting of the, in, in six months, and, and Adrian Kay and the team have done a fantastic job to get the, the course in, in wonderful nick. We've had horses on the track this morning, um, you know, looking at the course and, and cantering out on the back stretch, and um, had wonderful reports from all the visiting stable staff, you know, seeing seeing the conditions on the track. We're really pleased with it and, and couldn't be happier with where we are as we start the meeting 
Okay, so just just branching out from three days of the the Dante Festival, we I think York is is largely accepted as 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 one of the very best race courses in in the UK and the world. William, it's it's always hugely positive when when we build up to York. Um, what what more do you want to do? What more can you do to, I suppose, keep keep your position, you know, right towards the top of that table, if you like, and and keep attracting the right race girls, the right horses, etc. And are you always trying to do things a bit differently? Yeah, very much so, Tom. We're we're trying to project our, our flagship meeting, the Ebor Festival, on, onto the world racing stage. That's what we gear our whole business and our whole year around. So we've invested a, a record sum this year of £10 million in our race programme across the season. A lot of that focused on the, uh, the Ebor Festival in the third week in August. Um, the Judgment International is our flagship race, a million-pound race. Um, twice in the last decade has been rated the Longines World world's best race and a race we're incredibly proud of um, and, and we've got our association with Popol on the first three days of that four day meeting and, and obviously the wonderful Skybet Ebor which is such a good sort of um, the richest flat handicap in the, in Europe and, and such a good sort of indicator staging post for horses that go on to the richest handicap in the world, the, the Melbourne Cup, the Lexus Melbourne Cup at Flemington and we have a really good relationship relationship with Breeders' Cup, with Hong Kong Jockey Club, with Japanese Racing Association and Victoria Racing Club. Those sort of worldwide links are something we're really keen to develop and expand and deepen uh, as we move on to the world stage. And I suppose that that, that sort of feels like the, the, the logical next step, and not just for York, for, for British racing across the season as well, is to is to make those international ties and hopefully attract as many international horses as possible. The world's getting smaller, isn't it? And you know, it feels like we just we could do with as many international raiders, if you like, as possible. Is that something you're constantly working towards? Yeah, very much so. And 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 you know, the calendar helps us there, Tom. So so being in mid-August, we we catch the international raiders that may come to Royal Ascot or Glorious Goodwood, and we work very closely with those tracks. Or or put the other end of the scale, a, a horse coming from the Far East from Japan, who may be intent on a on an Arc de Triomphe campaign, mm. so they can run at York in August in the Jumper International, and many have, and and go on to Paris in October, and maybe via via the Irish Champion Stakes uh, uh, let us down. So so we work really well in the calendar with a, a sort of, I, I like to think of it as a crossroads of the season. You know, the horses might be heading from us to the Breeders' Cup. We had three Breeders' Cup winners compete at the Eagle Festival last year. Um, so so that, that sort of calendar helps. And, and yes, that's our aspiration. We had, we've had Golden Powell, um, Wesley Ward's come and race here. We've had Hortensia won the Cornwall Dunsort from Australia. Um, Zeno Rob Roy came over so close from Japan um, to, to winning the Tubman's International way back in 2005. And more recently, Cheryl Grand, a Japan Cup winner, came over to, to race in the Tubman International. So that's something we want to work on and promote and, and work very closely with Nick Smith and Adam Waterworth in, in sort of going around the world, um, really trying to, to, to promote and, and 
welcome people to York to, to race their horses. We're helped by being a, a left-handed, flat, mm. very very straightforward track, very much like a, a mini mini Tokyo, if you like, so or a mini um, Flemington. So, so you know, it's it helpful to describe that to people on the world circuit. Um, and, and as you know, I saw you out in Dubai for the World Cup meeting. That was my first international meeting since the pandemic. It was great to be traveling again and, and meeting lots of connections from around the world and, and welcoming them, hopefully, to come and race their horses at York. Well, William Darby, yeah, very positive and excited about three days at the, the Dante meeting. With crowds back at this meeting for the, for the first time in three years, which is something that, that had been lost on me a touch. Uh, how much are you looking forward to, to three days at the Dante meeting? I think it's very hard not to look forward to any days um, at York, Tom. I think there's a lot of agreement among people in racing, among racing fans and racing professionals, that York is pretty much the model race course. Um, if you wanted to have a textbook example of how a major race course should be run, you would look to York. Um, it seems to me they get pretty much everything right and they get super racing too. Um, they've got that again today and it's encouraging as well um, to, 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 to read uh, in the post again this morning that, that the numbers seem good. Uh, you reference the crowds are back. Well, this was the, the, pretty much the last major meeting last year to be staged without, um, without crowds. Um, so it's a, it's a big day, a big day for York and hopefully they will get a big crowd. The main meeting isn't ever one that has huge numbers relative to some York fixtures. Um, but it's encouraging that, that William Darby has said we're a touch ahead of where we were at this equivalent stage in 2019. And that for each of the days, with that's for each of the days of Friday, the most ahead of the three. And that's relevant because there has been a definite trend in recent weeks and months for major meetings to have pretty significant slumps of attendance. Um, now that's, that took place with most of the jump season, but it's been maintained since the flat season got going. We saw at the Craven meeting numbers were massively down. Um, actually, in the same week, Cheltenham's April meeting was massively down. We're talking sort of 40, 50% drops in attendance at those meetings. The same was true for the Lincoln. Uh, the same, we had a, a drop in attendance for Greenham Day at Newbury. And more recently, Chester last week, they had, uh, again, really big drops, a 35% drop compared to 2019. So a trend has developed. Um, you'd say if any race course would buck that trend, it would be York. William Darby uh, says that sales are, set, are ahead of where they were three years ago, but what he doesn't know is what the walk-up will be, what, what those people that just turn up and go racing on the day. Um, hope there'll be plenty of them. And William makes a point in the post that those people can use cash, which they can't use at all race courses now, arc tracks, jockey club tracks, cash now is a no-go except in the betting ring. And that, I think, is a, an issue that we should be exploring further. I'm sure I'll do that in the post over the coming days. Um, but, yeah, hopefully a great day uh, of racing for, for racegoers back at the York May meeting. Uh, is there a reason, uh, Lee? And I know that, that, that you at the, the post, perhaps not you personally, but I know the Racing Post have touched on this and, and looked into it. What is the reason that, um, of late, not so many people are fancying a day at the races? Very difficult to know, Tom. I mean, I, I've I've explored the 
the data, but of course we, we can't know for sure is why those people that used to come aren't coming now. I think against it all is is the backdrop of of the economy. Um, it's hard to watch the news now and not uh, not read or hear about this cost of living crisis. Bills are going up all the time, and the reality is that horse racing is not an essential spend uh, for the vast majority of people. It's a leisure pursuit. It's something you do with your spending money, if you like. And if you feel that you have less to spend, it follows that you will probably spend it less on things like horse racing, which isn't a cheap day out uh, in this part of the world. And I think some race goers are talking about how they think things are more expensive as well than they used to be. There's maybe also the the backdrop um, of, of COVID, the fact that some people still aren't keen to go to big mass gatherings. Um, and there's also, I think, the factor at some meetings that people don't necessarily think the entertainment that they're being offered up on the race course is as enticing as it should be due to field sizes. So I think there are any number of potential reasons why numbers are down, but I think they're down enough and consistently down that it is something that race courses will be looking at. Bill Francis was quoting the Racing Post not long ago saying it's a real big issue there that they're not expecting uh, to hit the budget in terms of uh, attendances and that their numbers in terms of pre-booking since the start of the spring really have been significantly down. So this is not a one-off. It doesn't apply to one race course or to one part of the country. It's a real problem. Well, field sizes, um, by and large, are very good across these three days at the Dante meeting. Hopefully that's reflected in, in some good crowd numbers as well. Uh, talking of, of people attending a day at the races, you will know very well, Lee, that Emily Upjohn, who heads the betting for today's Musidora, is a character in the Marx Brothers film A Day at the Races. And I would assume that's no coincidence. That is why she, she has that name. Um, she does head the betting for this year's Tattersall's Musidora, daughter of See the Stars, who is two from two and looked mighty impressive at Sandown, winning her novice last time, Lee. Is there more depth to this race, do you think, than perhaps the market has it? I think it's a good race, Tom. I should say it was probably more Laurel and Hardy uh, the Marx Brothers, hmm. um, if I'm being me, honest. Me too. Listen, yeah. I, I, I was a huge Laurel and Hardy fan, but um, Google Good tells man. me about a day at the races. There you are. Well, and, 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 and Google is, is right to do so. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a good Musidora, Tom. I think, you know, sometimes Musidoras um, maybe lack strength in depth, but even though we've only got five runners in this particular edition of the Musidora, it wouldn't be a colossal surprise if any of them won the race. They all come here off the back of a, a win last time out. Even the rank outsider, Ching Chi, um, is a filly who was wildly impressive on her most recent outing and comes into the race with a, a tremendous pedigree and a, and a Musidora pedigree as well when you look at previous runnings. But unsurprisingly, Emily Upjohn is the one who is, is making the headlines. I think that's because of two things, really. The manner in which she won at Sandown on a, re on a reappearance on that Friday before the jumps finale. She won by a wide margin there, defying a penalty. And it's what Frankie de Tori said about her after the race. He, he made clear that she'd really given him the wow factor on the, on the gallops, and she'd done that again at Sandown. She's now, what, 72-4-1 shot for the Oaks, the leading British contender from a, from a camp that knows how to prepare an Oaks filly, but against her, you've got a filly in, in Life of Dreams who represents the, 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 the Appleby-Buick combo that, of course, is, whilst they've not been winning everything and they had a quieter week last week, Charlie Appleby 
uh, had the one two in in the guineas he's got a, a stable pack full of strong three-year-old colts the fillies don't look bad either and this one was odds on when she won what is traditionally a war maiden um, at Newbury Spring Meeting. She was impressive that day. And so the fact that she was on, on suggests that she was expected to win there. She must be a massive player. We've got a filly in here, the Algarve, representing Aidan O'Brien and Ryan Moore. We all know, you know as I say, as I wrote in the, in the post uh, on Saturday, Aidan O'Brien's won more trials than Rumpel of the Bailey um, in recent days. He's been mopping up the classic trials. And the Algarve, although, again, maybe doesn't have the... The profile, when you look at a form so far of being a, a superstar, you look at a horse like Stone Age, he was repeatedly beaten uh, as a juvenile and now looks a potential superstar. So she'll be she'll be fascinating to watch. And then, as I say, you've got Phillies uh, who won last time out representing Rafe Beckett and David Simcock. It's a good Musidora, Tom. It should be an informative Musidora, and I'm fascinated to see what happens. And also interesting, too, we should say that Emily Upjohn is maybe a bit different to the sort of filly that John Gosden has brought here in the past. She only cost 60 grand, which in classic contender terms is not a huge amount. And she also carries colours that we're not associate, not used to associating uh, with classic contenders. Tactful Finance and S. Roden. I know no more than that about them, uh, Tom. Tactful Finance, if you look on the Racing Post Cuttings Library, there's only one reference to them prior to Emily Upjohn. That's with a horse that won at Wolverhampton for Mark Johnson three years ago. Um, so I'm sure we'll find out more about them as this year goes on, because hopefully we'll be seeing plenty more of Emily Upjohn. Uh, yes, and um, you mentioned uh, Lundirada for, for Rafe Beckett. Rob Holmby will join me on the pod tomorrow, um, hopefully to reflect um, for him on a, on a good run from Lundirada. And, and we'll be turning our attention to Alcohol Free, who we'll partner up with in the Ashokad Lockinge this weekend. Turning your attention to the Avesti Equiworld Dante tomorrow at York. We know the confirmed field. Interesting runner for Sai Bin Saror in the form of White Wolf, who has run just once and, and won on his first start at Southall this year. Sai Bin Saror joins me now. Sai, tell us a, a bit more about this horse. We don't know a huge amount about him. Yeah, he's doing very good. I mean, uh, he starts his first race and be like, uh, or got to be like almost 17 days. Ago and he won nicely over a mile. Then I know he's he need a, a trip as Malco to be better for him. He came back in the last run really well and uh, he worked well also. Um, he ready to go. I mean, it's a tough race, but the horse is give him a chance. I mean, and Dante to see how he goes. But um, he's a nice, a nice quarter was I like him. Um, I mean, he's interesting. He's got a couple of notable entries, of, of course, in, in the Kazoo Derby and also in the St. James's Palace back over a mile. I, I guess, you know, tomorrow will tell you a little bit more, won't it? But what what do you feel about his future distance-wise? What do you feel is going to suit him best? I think from mile and a quarter uh, to mile and a half. I know he showed he went over a mile but to start with. But as uh, the best term for him in this moment is mile and a quarter. Could be if he go later, he go mile, mile and a half. Mm. But the horse is uh, always, you know, from the day when he arrived, I mean, he looked really beautiful animal and he looked really good. Um, as with the way he looked and with the way he work also in the morning, the train, he don't, he trained like a, a nice horse. Then uh, after when the first run he ran, he was confident to run him in uh, group races. Mm. And are you happy with Real World, Saeed, who you run in the Al Shakab Lockinge this weekend? Yeah, he done good. I mean, uh, it was uh, disappointed with him in the dirt. We gave him a chance twice. He didn't have the dirt at all. 
then now no more. He, he will be uh, from now on to run him in the TF all the time. And um, <clears throat> he went over a mile, mile, mile quarter last year, even knife or lungs also. Uh, and he won in the same racetrack also, the mile quarter last year. You know, and uh, they, the, he's doing good. He worked well. Uh, Sunday, um, he worked nicely. He worked well. Oh, sorry, Monday. That's Monday. And, and um, he worked really well over a mile. And he's spot on now for this race. Uh, you know, and uh, I hope no shoes for him. I know mm-hmm. that Baid, he's a superstar in the race. You know, but uh, we'll give him a chance, see how we go. But I'm, I'm happy so far with him. Yeah, you might be bumping into one of the, the best milers we've seen for a while, but there we are. Do you know what? I'm. I, I love that you ran him on the, the dirt. You know, being a fan of of, um, of, of dirt racing, I, I think it added so much intrigue to the two dirt contests he ran in in Saudi and Dubai. The fact that he was such a good turf horse, and the question was, would he handle it? We know the answer to that now. But is there a is there a worry that it might have left a mark on him in any way? The fact that he he, he ran two two races on the dirt and didn't handle it, or do you feel he is you know he's absolutely fine back on the turf off the back of those runs? No, I mean, uh, in, uh, like if you look for our record as horses, our horses, we run them in the World Cup. Uh, like uh, I won nine times the World Cup. Majority of this horse is winning. They are tier horses. But we take them back to Dubai. We run the Black Maktoub Challenge and different race, uh, different shapes as in dirt. They handle it. They run big, big races. But um, <clears throat> at that time, I mean, uh, this year we run him in the Zabil Mile, over Mile, and... Um, Danny rode him, one with him. Then that was the time enough between Zabil uh, Mile to Saudi Cup. Then I uh, just went to try him. We can handle the dirt Dubai back then. You know, we take a chance. We run him in, in uh, Saudi. Then um, he jumped slow. Then he missed the break. Then we say, okay, we'll give him a chance again. But the reality, after Bay World Cup, we, we know he's not, he don't like the, the dirt. Then that's it, then no more try, then um, I think that the TRC, uh, he's, we know he's a different horse. And and just just looking ahead, obviously, you know, he's he's run over further and won over further in the past. Is he an out-and-out miler this year, do you think, or or, or could you go back over further? I like, I, I believe always this horse, he's a mile and a quarter, you know, but he, he won over uh, nine for longs. Then uh, he won also group two in France and a mile, but in the Newbury he went mile a quarter also. You know, he done, uh, he's not a sprinter, but as a mile, mid-distance is uh, good for him to start. Thanks to Saeed Bin Saroor there. Right, turning our attention to the ongoing debate of the, the cost of these affordability checks and what it might mean for punters and the horse racing industry, Lee. Uh, your big read column on Sunday explored a, an individual case study regarding this. Andrew Black has been outspoken in the Racing Post yesterday with, with his intervention. Where do you stand on this at the moment? Well, of course, we were all looking yesterday, Tom, at the, the, the state opening of Parliament and the Queen's speech. We didn't expect uh, the, the gambling review uh, and its white paper to be referenced in the Queen's speech, although we do think the white paper's publication is likely to be imminent. And one of the things that I think we are expecting to be part of the, the government's plans for the future of the gambling sector is the introduction of affordability checks. That's certainly been the indication that we've had 
all along. There's a very powerful lobby that wants to see affordability checks introduced. And as I said, there have been indications from within government that they are minded to do so. The column piece that you you referenced, Tom, um, highlighted the fact that, as we've said before, that affordability checks are already taking place. Bookmakers um, are already asking their, their customers to provide details um, of their financial positions from which they then make a judgment on how much those people should be spending in effect on their betting. And I referenced one individual, a Racing Post reader who'd got in touch uh, with me um, and had laid out uh, some figures. So he, he said to me that he showed this particular bookmaker uh, who he didn't wish to name, but he showed the particular bookmaker evidence that he had savings of more than £300,000, so £300,000 plus in the bank, an annual pension income in excess of £70,000 a year, no mortgage, and has never suffered from gambling problems. When he put all that data forward to the bookmaker, the bookmaker came back to him and said they would now impose a monthly deposit limit of only £200. And his reference to that was, I genuinely give up. And he felt foolish for having given the information over in the first place. Uh, he spoke to me about having already closed two accounts because he just doesn't no longer now want to go through that process of giving over information. And it is going to be a problem going forward. There will be people, Tom, who for very understandable reasons just feel that betting is a, is a leisure pursuit. They're not asked to produce their financial details when they're buying uh, a bottle of wine or buying a Big Mac, things that could potentially be bad for them. Um, they feel this is an intrusion into their civil liberties. And if they no longer uh, feel that they want to carry on betting, um, that will be a major blow to bookmakers and to the horse racing industry. And also, if they do want to continue betting, but they can't continue betting to their previous levels because they're set an affordability check limit that they believe uh, is wholly inadequate. There are any number of reasons why this is a danger to horse racing and a danger to, to civil liberties. Nobody, uh, nobody denies that there are clearly people with serious issues around gambling problems and the government and the betting industry is right to confront those issues. I just think there's people who feel for gen genuine reasons that this is the wrong way to tackle that. One of those is Andrew Black. Um, Andrew Black was a, a very uh, well-known name, Betfair co-founder for a long time. He was involved with Michael Owen at their yard in Cheshire. And he's spoken in the Racing Post today to say um, how, how worried he is about the impact that affordability checks are going to have on the, on the horse racing industry. For me, he says affordability checks are the single biggest story out there and the single biggest thing we have to combat as an industry. He refers to it as almost a Spanish Inquisition that's coming our way it's going to get worse he says we've got to be confrontational when it comes to dealing with this because we're dealing with people who consider themselves on a mission and i think people do consider themselves on a mission and of course they're dealing with a government who i think will does see uh, bookmakers and the gambling industry as an easy target so rocky waters ahead and i think it's vital that the the racing industry speaks with one voice on this which largely they seem to be um, at the moment. We also had um, news that Windsor Lee are going to scrap controversial 
uh, plans for a new enclosure that deny parade ring access. This, uh, I, I confess to not knowing these plans were in place uh, or that they were being um, trialled on the, the 2nd and, and 9th of May and they've had a lot of negative feedback or the enclosure has and frankly I'm, I'm not really surprised there's been a lot of negative feedback. I, I wonder whose idea this was, it doesn't seem a very good one. Well, um, Windsor's got a, a new executive director, Liam Johnson. I don't know him, Tom, but I assume that this was this was largely um, his decision, one that he approved of. And, and if so, he has immediately made an impact in the job, but regrettably not a not a positive one. I refer you back, Tom, to an answer I gave some moments ago regarding attendances. These are going down um, across uh, a number of, of race courses, and at that time to introduce a policy whereby a large section of your race-going customers would not have access to the, the paddock and winners enclosure seemed to me, when it was announced, an enormously regrettable decision. That's how I referenced it actually in the column on Monday. So I'm very pleased that subsequent to that, Windsor have reversed that decision based on feedback from customers at their two most recent meetings. Um, so the, the plan in effect would have been to segregate uh, a set of customers who previously all had access to the same area. It would have been saying that those who paid more would have been able to go into the paddock and the winner's enclosure. Those who paid a bit less would not have been. In effect, the, the what would become what most race goers, Tom, think of as the TAPS enclosure, the number two enclosure, they would not have been able to see the horses properly before or after a race. And I can think of no other instance where that happens on a race course. Uh, I thought at a time when we need to be uh, engaging racing's fan base and growing new fans to remove what I think is a key element of a day at the races away from those people was a stupid thing to do. I couldn't understand it, um, but credit to Windsor, they've, they've listened to the complaints from, from their customers and they've abandoned that policy, certainly for the rest of the year, I hope it stays abandoned and hopefully provide a warning to any other race course or race course could be thinking of doing the same thing, that it is very much the wrong thing to do. Uh, yeah, uh, good point. That Thankfully, they have listened and um, it was a, a plan in its infancy and it has now been changed. Not all ideas are going to be successful, but they, they've showed flexibility and thankfully that's been done away with. Good news there. Uh, right, let's turn our attention internationally then. Chris Connitz has travelled out to America with Yibir and his search of winning the Man of War this weekend. Chris is the travelling head lad to Charlie Appleby. I spoke to him late last night, UK time, and asked what it is that makes him so fond of you, Beer. Um, he's just got so much personality. And, um, he, yeah, he just comes across, he's, he's his own man, um, but you know, he, he, yeah, he's, he's got some quirks, and I guess I just like that about him. You know, He's not straightforward, but he... When he runs, he, he puts his arm in his sleeve and he, he puts it all out there for you. Uh, honestly, if he'd, have, if he'd have won in Dubai from where he was positioned in the Shima Classic, I think, I mean, I, I, it would have been the, it was a remarkable run anyway, but to try and do it that way, I just thought was was absolutely jaw-dropping, to be, to be completely honest. You can't change that about him, can you? Uh, no, you, you know, he, he, he likes that kind of run style and unfortunately in Dubai they, they, they didn't go a, a great pace but he, he, he still had that kick and he really pushed off and, 
he, he nearly nearly got there unfortunately I was, I was screaming at, as I was watching the TV um, but you know he, he's, he's somewhat some what is it about America that, that you think works for him um, I think I think it, it kind of it might just kid him into it you know um, going around two turns two three turns he, he's not just running in a straight line it keeps him interested and and then get that nice bit of cover and then when he peeled out he, he's like okay it's rock and roll time here we go and mm. um, so I think that that's, that's really what suits him mm. does, does he does he just travel really well like is it you know on, on the plane he does everything you want off it he's all, you know almost um, home from home and um, it really has been this trip um, he, we, we flew out and fled into Frankfurt had, had like six hours on the ground there and then flew from Frankfurt to, to JFK and you know, he, he drank a lot, he went into his hard feed, he hay as well. He, he, he's just a, a real pro at travelling these days. Um, you can ask for, for more than that, really. Um, and he settled in here at Belmont. We, we did our 42 hours in uh, quarantine in the barn and he, he went out to the track this morning and you know, thought he'd been doing it all his life. He had a pony to lead him around, but, you know, he's very happy out here. What's it like for you, Chris, doing doing that sort of flight? Like, just just you know, take me through your your role on the particularly the longer trip from Frankfurt to America. Um, well, we we always have um, like a, a Jana flying groom, so I'm I there assisting them because they're the professionals that fly in these horses, so they they do the real job and they know it day in day out. So um, Charlie likes me to be there just because I know the horse and just kind of oversee that. So we, we put them into um, air stalls, put the calls, um, and we can give them feed. They can ideally, especially with our horses, we can get them to uh, get their heads down and have some hard feed and pay off the ground, which helps with any kind of travel sickness. And um, we provide water from time to time to them, um, just so we know exactly how much they're drinking. Um, but you, you try and leave them alone as well. It's, it's, it's like yourself. If you're on a, a long flight, you don't need the air host, uh, hmm. air stewardess, or steward coming along every two minutes going, would you like a drink? Would you like a drink or food? Hmm. Um, I guess that, so you, that you, really you, depends who you are, Chris, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, this is true. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, we, we just kind of look after them and just make sure they have what they need and um, try and prevent any... Um, anything's going wrong really mm. it's a it's, it's a it's a long old trip um, the trip out here I think it, from box to box it was about 22 hours all in which is quite quite a long time to, to travel a horse for but um, the horse took it well and uh, we get looked after on the flights as well so um, yeah you can't complain too much Okay, we can uh, keep with the international theme. It is Wednesday, which means it's time for the latest on the Hong Kong beat. Here's Jim McGrath. Disappointing news from Hong Kong, in a sense, that Golden 60s connections have decided against the trip to Japan for the Yasuda Kinnan for a couple of key reasons. If he was to make the trip, all those concerned, owner, trainer, jockey, would all have to endure one week locked in hotel quarantine in Hong Kong on the way back. Hong Kong's COVID approach is still as tough as ever. China has decreed that COVID zero can be achieved, however ambitious that may be. 
The other reason is the horse's physical well-being. Nothing to worry about, but he did show signs of heat stress, according to local observers, following his most recent win. Better safe than sorry, I suppose. Interesting, though, that jockey Vincent Ho has gone public, saying that it's a pity the world's highest-ranked horse is not making the trip to Japan. He's deserved his chance to step onto the world stage, Vincent said. That's strong stuff from Vincent, who normally would toe the party line. He's right, though. Golden 60 is 34 points clear on thoroughbred racing commentary rankings, well ahead of top Australian sprinter Nature Strip and the accomplished Life is Good. Nature Strip is still on target to come to Royal Ascot next month. Maybe one day Golden 60 might come over for his UK adventure. I'm sure Ascot's Nick Smith is working away at that idea as we speak. Happy Valley today, nine races, chief attraction will be Lucky Swayness, an unbeaten youngster who faces his toughest assignment in race nine, which is a class three, six furlong sprint handicap. So far, he's done everything right. Three from three, he's smart, but his inexperience showed last start. He got under the wrong leg early in the second half of the race, but he still won. I think he'll make it four out of four, but he carries top weight, and this is a real test. I go race nine, number two, Lucky Swayness, take him in a tote swinger with number four, Here Comes Ted. Casper Founds is back in form. If you're looking for one more, try race four, number seven, Winning Icy. Only his third start, this fellow, but this is a big chance for him to break the ice. That's all from Hong Kong this week. I'll have more for you next week. Lee, sad news regarding the passing of, of Billsden Brooks. She was so popular. She was a huge prize winner of the uh, 1,000 guineas a, a few years back, and she has died suddenly yesterday. Very sad news. Very sad news. And, Tom, you, you said she was popular. She really was popular. Uh, she was a 66-1 to 1 winner of the 1,000 guineas in 2018 for Richard Hannon, ridden um, by Sean Levy for um, a group of uh, uh, syndicate owners, friends, who uh, their, their love for the filly was absolutely obvious. She was a different sort of classic winner and all the better for that. Very, very sadly, um, she's died, as you say, at the, the age of seven. Jeanette McCreary, uh, her stud, Stolhouse, sort of Hill stud, they, they bred Billsden Brook. They were one of the people... Uh, who raced her? Uh, she, she she reported uh, yesterday that she that the the mare bills and Brook became poorly, became obviously uncomfortable, and there was on inspection nothing that vets could do to save her. She was in pain and she's been euthanized, and it, it's, it's dreadfully sad. I say she's all all too young. Um, very little you can say that 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 really makes this in any way. Uh, a, a, more palatable story, desperately desperate for all concerned. She's a super horse and she'll leave people with many happy memories. Yes, she will do indeed. And um, hopefully that family continues to produce successful connections. Continuing with the Munning stories from the exhibition A Life of His Own at the National Horse Racing Museum, a reminder that this runs from the 24th of May to the 12th of June this year. You can come and see this jewel of an exhibition about the important British Impressionist who loved horses and racing. Um, our story too is centred around Buchan. He belonged to Lord Astor, won the Eclipse at Sandown Park twice in 1919 and 1920, and the Champion Stakes at Ascot. 
the uh, year before that in 1919. He finished first in the Ascot Gold Cup in 1920, but was sadly disqualified. This study provides a fascinating insight into the artist's working methods. He made notions on the picture in pencil, indicating the colours to be used for the highlights on the horse, and the greens and violets seem uh, remarkable colours to depict accurately the sheen of a horse's coat in sunshine. And the combination was also mentioned by Munning's contemporary and fellow war artist, William Orpen. You can see that amongst other paintings from the 24th to the 12th of June, 2022, at the National Horse Racing Museum. Lee Mottershead, you can send us a... I want two tips, please, Lee. Two tips? Yes, because I want one horse tip and I want one Eurovision tip. Do you know, Tom, it is... I have to say, I have to admit, I had planned to give you two tips and one was planned to be... A Eurovision tip. You, you clearly know you clearly know me well. Let's get the boring one away first, Tom. The yeah, horsey. The horsey. Tip. Who cares? Go on. What's the, oh, what's the four-legged one? Well, the, the two twenty-five at York, Tom. The Churchill Tires handicap. There are a few things more frightening life than a sprint handicap at York. Uh, if you're a they're absorbing to watch but terrifying to unravel. Uh, Michael Dodds is extremely good at winning sprint handicaps. He's got a few though in this race. I'm going to go with Woven. Uh, ridden by David Egan. But Eurovision, Tom, you'd have been absorbed, gripped by the first semi-final uh, last night. I'm looking forward to the second semi on Thursday because my big fancy goes in this one. Sweden, uh, a lady called Cornelia Jacobs, has a wonderful song called Hold Me Close. It is absolutely gorgeous. She channels Bonnie Tyler and Keris Matthews um, with a chorus that will, will, that will it will take you away, Tom. It's, it's a really good song. Uh, Ukraine dominates the market, and for understandable reasons, but that makes country like Sweden really good value. As I talk now, you can get 9 to 1, 8 to 1, 9 to 1. That's a good each-way bet. So Sweden, for me, each way in the Eurovision. Uh, and uh, like me, Tom, we both know how we'll be spending Saturday evening. Oh, we do. Great stuff, as ever. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, thanks to everyone at home for listening. I will be back tomorrow hosting the podcast, looking ahead to day two of the Dante meeting. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.